Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. History books underscore the frail and fleeting nature of earthly power. Fortunately, Christians have access to unlimited power. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at this divine power source, so evident in the life and ministry of Jesus, and still available to believers here and now. To introduce his message, is he doing greater works, or are we? Here's David. And thank you for joining us for the Tuesday edition of Turning Point. We are in the midst of a discussion of the Jesus you may not know. And today we're going to talk about a passage of Scripture that says that after Jesus went back to heaven, we are now able to do greater works than he did when he was on this earth. That sounds counterintuitive. It sounds like it couldn't be true. And I remember the first time I read it, that's the impression I had. But I did a little digging and I found out what this means. And it is an incredible truth. We're going to talk about it for two days, today and tomorrow, right here on Turning Point. We've been telling you about our resource for the month of May. It's the book, The Jesus You May Not Know. It has all these intriguing things in it about the Lord Jesus. Uh, many things you do know, but some things you may not know. I made a list as I read through the book, and there's a couple dozen things in this book that might catch you by surprise. They're right from the Scripture. You just may not have seen them before, and I'm not inventing new truth. I'm just discovering truth that's already been there, and some of it's just pretty exciting. We learned a couple already. One of my favorites is that Jesus is in heaven in his body. A lot of people don't know that, that he is in his humanity in heaven. When we see Jesus in heaven, we will see him in his glorified body, and we will have a body just like his. We will be in our transformed bodies. And we know that when we see him, we'll be able to see the scars in his hands and feet and in his side. It will be a memorial for eternity to the wonderful, wonderful thing that God did for us when he sent Jesus to be our Savior. So be sure to ask for the book when you send your gift to Turning Point today. Simply say, send me the book, The Jesus You May Not Know. We'd love for you to have a copy of it. Thank you for your investment in Turning Point. Well, uh, today we need to get started with this, this question. Is Jesus doing greater works or are we? Every year, Forbes magazine publishes a list of the 75 world's most powerful people. Why 75? Well, there are approximately 7.5 billion people in the world, so that's one powerful person for every 100 million of the rest of us. You can guess who's on that list. It won't take you a lot. The presidents of the United States and Russia and China and Germany, other prominent leaders of state. Several military leaders are on the list, along with the planet's most successful entrepreneurs and some of the wealthiest people in the world. Funny thing about the Forbes list, no one stays on it for very long. Interesting. Every year the list changes. Some people drop off, others are added. Sometimes it's a political fortune, a shift in the economy. Maybe it's an illness or an accident or a scandal or a slur. 
All of these things can take a person from powerful to pitiful in just a short time. Most of us remember James A. Baker, who was a dominant force in American politics for many decades, especially in the Bush's years. He described the moment that he realized the fleeting nature of power. He said as chief of staff at the White House, he was riding home in his sleek black government limousine. And looking out the window, he saw this man walking down the street all by himself. He was someone that many of us would have recognized, a chief of staff in a previous administration. Baker said there he was alone, no reporters, no security, no adoring public, no trappings of power, just one solitary man alone with his thoughts. It's kind of lonely to be the former anything of anything, isn't it? So I want to recommend something better than the power that we can achieve in this world. I want to talk to you today about the power that is available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to ask you a question. And here's my question. Is Jesus doing greater works now, or are we? You may say that's a pretty dumb question. Anybody can answer that. I mean, Jesus is always going to do better things than we do. But before you answer the question, listen to my sermon. Because you might be in for a surprise. Have you ever looked up the word power in the Bible? I mean, it's everywhere. The word power is a very prominent word in the Scripture. Here's just a few representatives of the places where you can find it. Luke 4.36, with authority and power, Jesus commands the unclean spirits. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Matthew 9.6, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Matthew 24, 30, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power. Revelation 5, 12, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. Now, the wonderful thing about the power of Jesus is that's the place where we find our resources. He is in charge of all the resources of the world. He's powerful. So when we need provisions, it's pretty neat to be able to go to the most powerful one. There's nobody above him. His name is above every name. Sometimes people come to me and say, Dr. Jeremiah, I'm having this problem. Would you pray for me? And I sometimes say, yeah, have you prayed? Why don't you pray to God? You can go right to the most powerful one in all the universe, and you can do it personally. You don't have to go through me. I'm happy to pray for you, but please don't misunderstand. My prayers are not any more viable before God than yours are. There is no pecking system in heaven. You just come before the Lord. And here's what you need to understand. He's powerful. Just because he doesn't wield his power always in behalf of everything does not mean that it is not there. And I want to just take you on a little journey of the power of Jesus, his great works that he does. And I want to tell you, this is just a small sampling of everything. For in the Bible, in the New Testament, We have a great number of miracles that are reported in all four Gospels. The power of Jesus and his performing acts are everywhere to be seen in the Bible. I'm only going to talk to you about five. First of all, I want to tell you about his power over storms. According to Matthew chapter 8, one day Jesus came down out of the mountains and walked to the shore, got in a boat with his disciples, went into the back of the boat, and went to sleep. In Matthew 8, 25, 
and following says, his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus went to sleep in the boat, and there was a storm, and the waves came up, and the wind came up, and Jesus was a sound sleeper. And the disciples came in, woke him up, and said, Lord, don't you even care about us? You're going to let us drown in the middle of this? And, and these verses tell us that when Jesus was awakened, he rebuked the wind like a parent would rebuke their little child. And the wind stopped, and the waves were calm. And the Bible says that Jesus did all of this, and he knew in advance he was going to do it. In other words, this was a setup. He knew there was going to be a storm. He slept in the back of the boat. I've often thought he was peeking, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> and in the midst of that storm, he taught his disciples that no matter how great the storm might be, if Jesus is in your boat, don't worry. He's got it in control. Just stop for a moment and listen to Jesus. And if you do, you'll hear him say, peace be still. Calm down. Get yourself together. I'm here. And everything you need, you have in me. His power in the storms. Ever have a storm in your life? There's a lot of storms in the Bible. It, not just in the New Testament. The Psalms talk a lot about storms, too. I think the reason that's there is because it is a wonderful, picturesque metaphor of what it's like in life. How many of you know life is just a bunch of storms? Someone said you're either in one, you're coming out of one, you're about to go into one. Welcome to storms. And I have them too. You have, we all have, that's one thing we can say we have in common. We all have storms. But here's the wonderful news. The powerful one who rebuked the wind in the day of the disciples is the same powerful one who is with us in the midst of our storms. Hallelujah. He never leaves us or forsakes us. His power in the storms. Let me talk with you about his power over shortage. <laughs> I like that word, shortage, because that describes what life is like. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough room. We don't have enough, and you can make your list. Life is about not having enough. No matter how much you have, there's always something you don't have enough of. You don't have enough energy. Can I get a witness? <laughs> but Jesus is the one who has power over shortage. One of the only miracles that is recorded in the four Gospels is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And really, the story should be called the feeding of the 15,000 because in Bible days, they only counted the men. So you've got to assume there was at least one woman and a child for every one man. So most Bible scholars believe that when that lunch was served, it wasn't 5,000 people, it was 15,000 people. Now, this happened near the town of Bethsaida, a fishing village. And in John's account of the story, he mentions that the Passover was near, so we know that this happened in the spring. These crowds were following Jesus in the hills of Galilee, and one day as he looked out, he saw they'd been following all day, and they hadn't had anything to eat, and they were hungry. And he asked his disciple, Philip, where are we going to get enough bread that these people may eat? He was testing Philip, the Bible says, because he already knew what he was going to do. But Andrew came along and he said, hey, I don't know where we're going to get all this food. Let me tell you what I know. There's this little boy who has five barley loaves and two small fish, 
but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, bring him to me. And the little boy came with his little lunch, and, and Jesus took the loaves and fish, and he looked up to heaven, and he blessed it, and he began breaking this apart and distributing it to the disciples. He had organized all of the people into groups of 50, and the disciples went around feeding all these people. And all he had was the little lunch, but the more he served, the more there was. It was a never-ending supply. And the Bible says after everybody was fed, there were 12 basketfuls left over. I never understood that. And then one day it dawned on me, duh, there were 12 disciples. They got to have something to eat. So they took that lunch home. That's not in the Bible, but that's just sort of what I thought. (laughs) Here's the thing that's so interesting. John 6, 6 says that Jesus himself knew what he would do. Or as the NIV puts it, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Did you know that the Bible says that your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things? When you pray, you're not giving Jesus new information. You say, well, then, if he already knows, why should I pray? Let me answer that very clearly. Because he commands you to pray. So pray. But know in your praying that when you bring your petitions to him, he already knows what he's going to do. Remember, we learned about Jesus. He lives in the eternal present. He doesn't have to go someplace and figure out what he's going to do in the future because the future is in the present. He already knows what he's going to do. Just like that day on that hillside, Before Philip said, Lord, what are we going to do? We don't have enough food. And Andrew said, oh, yeah, we got this one lunch. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was going to teach his disciples how to trust him during times of shortage. The Lord Jesus Christ has power over shortage. You may not have enough money, but he knows that. You may not have enough energy. He knows that. You may not have enough space. He knows that. You may be out of a lot of stuff, but you can't be out of anything that Jesus doesn't know you're out of. And in the midst of it all, as he was in that boat that day, as he was on the hillside that day, he knows what you need, and he's ready to help you. Here's the third thing. Power over storms, power over shortage, power over sickness. I can give testimony to that one. Jesus exercised power over illness when he was on this earth. And one thing about it that's really interesting is you read all of the accounts He didn't have any one specific method. You can never say, okay, if you do this now, then you'll be healed. For instance, in John 4, 50, Jesus healed a nobleman's son from a long ways away by simply saying, go your way, your son lives. And dozens of miles away, his son got well just like that. He touched the hand of Peter's mother-in-law. She was burning with fever, and the Bible says immediately her temperature returned to normal. He stretched out his hand and touched a loathsome leper, and immediately the man's skin was healed. In Matthew 9, this ailing woman in a crowd touched the hem of his garment, and the Bible says immediately healing power flowed into her body just because she touched Jesus' garment. In Matthew 9, 29, Jesus touched the eyes of two blind men, and immediately they had 20-20 vision. In Mark 7, he put his fingers in the ears of a deaf man, and suddenly the deaf man could hear perfectly. In John 9, he spat on the ground, and he made clay out of his saliva and smeared it on the eyes of the blind man and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and the man did so, and he came back seeing. 
In Luke 13, Jesus put hands on a woman who was bent over with infirmity that had plagued her 18 years. And he said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And straightway she stood as straight as an oak. Luke 17, 10 lepers yelled at Jesus for healing. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. We've talked about that recently. The priest couldn't heal them. The priest was only there to announce that they'd been healed. And the Bible says on their way to the priest, they all got better. And they stood before the priest, and he pronounced them clean. Perhaps his most unusual miracle, one of my favorite stories, and I have no idea why, but I always have loved this story. Peter, in the garden, swung his sword through the air and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Have you ever wanted to cut off somebody's ear? I mean, not literally, but... Do you ever get mad at somebody? Does anybody ever do something that just really irritates you and it's wrong and they shouldn't have done it? You want to respond? Well, Peter was like that. He's like us. When he saw what they were going to do to his Jesus, he got really ticked off and he pulled his sword out and he cut the ear off of the person who came to get Jesus. And Jesus touched the man's head and instantly his ear was reattached and perfectly restored. I need to tell you, I've watched some of the healing things on TV. I never saw anything like that. Nobody ever does that. Only Jesus can do that. In the Bible, Jesus is the only one who ever healed the blind because blindness is a metaphor for sin, for being away from God. Blind spiritually, you've heard that. Only Jesus can heal you blind spiritually, and he protects the blindness miracle in the physical realm so that no one gets the idea that anybody else can do what Jesus alone can do. He has power over sickness. Sometimes he heals people miraculously. I don't know how many of you know this, but there are people in this church who have told me stories like this. They went to the doctor because they weren't feeling well. They got an MRI, and the MRI showed they had a tumor. And so they schedule a surgery, and they go back for the surgery, and the doctor goes in to look at the MRI that he just took, and there's no tumor. It's gone. You say, what a coincidence. No, the more you pray, the more coincidences you will have. I just tell you that right now. People pray, and sometimes God heals them. Sometimes He heals us through the recuperative nature of our own bodies. Sometimes He heals us through the giftedness of a medical expert. But the examples of His healing in the Gospels were not necessarily for the people He healed. They were to show his power so that people would believe that he was who he claimed to be and hear his message of salvation. The Bible tells us that one day he's going to heal everybody. All tears will be wiped away and every illness will be gone. Sorrow and crying and disease and suffering and the ravages of aging. Hallelujah. (laughs) All those who Jesus healed in the Gospels, listen to me, All of the people Jesus healed eventually got sick again, and they grew old, and they died. His healing was not permanent. But because Jesus has authority over illness, one day he's going to resurrect us in glory, and we're going to have ageless bodies, and we'll realize as we should now accept by faith that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glories that will be revealed. Perhaps the greatest thing that Jesus ever did, most people think this was his greatest moment on earth beside his crucifixion. One day, one of his friends named Lazarus got sick and he died. 
The King James Bible says he was so dead he stinketh. That's the old King James. We have a new King James that's a little more delicate than that. But Jesus didn't say that Lazarus' sickness wouldn't include death. He said that it wouldn't end in death. It would provide instead an occasion for God to be glorified. So one day he stood outside of his tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And if he hadn't said Lazarus, all the dead people who were Christians would have come out of their graves that day. He made sure he called him by name. Because one day he's going to come back and the trumpet will sound and we're going to all be called out of our graves if we die before he returns. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can claim the promise that while we may not be healed down here, we'll all be healed up there. Amen? One day we'll have perfect bodies. I don't never get tired of thinking about the extreme makeover that's going to take place on our way to heaven. Won't that be something? So he has power over storms. He has power over shortage. He has power over sickness. He has power over Satan. One day the devil took Jesus out into the wilderness, Matthew 4, and he tempted him. Three times he tempted him. Why did Satan do that? He was trying to derail the gospel, get rid of the plan of redemption, get Jesus to accomplish his eternal work in fleshly means, take control of something that he already had control of in time. And Satan tempted him. And the Lord Jesus didn't get intellectual with him. He didn't argue with him. He didn't do any of those things that we normally think he would do. He just said, Satan, it is written. And then he quoted Scripture. Three times Satan tested him. Three times Jesus quoted Scripture. I've always been amazed that all of those three Scriptures came out of our most famous, loving, devotional book, Deuteronomy. Come on. What was the last time you quoted Deuteronomy? Jesus did it. They were powerful verses. And the Bible says at the end, Satan left him, and the angels came to minister to him. You see, Satan couldn't penetrate the purity of Jesus. He couldn't change the holiness of the Son of God. Not only can Satan not diminish the purity of Jesus, he cannot defy his authority. Shortly after Jesus was tempted, we are told that he was accosted by fallen spirits, by demons. The demons knew who Jesus was. Example, one day Jesus was preaching in the synagogue, and a man with the spirit of an unclean demon cried out and said to Jesus, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. I've always thought that was a great verse because the demons in Jesus' day know more about him than most of the modernistic preachers in this day. They knew who he was. Jesus simply replied, <laughs> I love this. Can I be a little colloquial here? Jesus said, be quiet. I think Jesus said, shut up. I don't think Jesus would probably ever say that. But be quiet and come out of him. The Bible says all he did, just be quiet and come out. Hmm. Well, we're kind of uh, walking away from this in a vulnerable place, but we'll catch up with it tomorrow. I hope you'll join us then uh, as we finish up our discussion, Is Jesus Doing Greater Works or Are We? Hey, friends, you know, we have a magazine that it's, it's really something to be excited about because it comes into your home every month beautifully adorned with incredible artwork and great articles and devotionals for every day of the week, Monday through Friday, one for the weekend. 
tells you all about what's happening at Turning Point and gives you all kinds of great information that helps you be a better partner and a better prayer for this uh, for this ministry. And we'd like to send this to you. If you don't get it, we'd love to send it to you. Just get in touch with us um, and ask us for the magazine, and we'll see that you get on the list and you'll get the next edition as soon as we hear from you. And oh, by the way, you can actually get the devotional material downloaded into your email file absolutely free. Just give us the information we need to do that, and it'll start showing up in your email every day. You'll get up every day, and there'll be a new devotional. There'll be new information, a new word from God, something to get you started right in your day. Once again, our magazine is called The Turning Point Magazine and Devotional, and it's yours for the asking. Just tell us you'd like to receive it, and we'll send it to you. It's another way that we can encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And friends, don't forget, during this month, we're making available this book that is the source of our study. It's the book that Jesus You May Not Know, 250 pages of teaching from the Word of God about who Jesus is. So be sure to ask for the book when you send your gift to Turning Point today. Simply say, send me the book, The Jesus You May Not Know. Thank you so much for remembering Turning Point during these uh, challenging days. We know God is with us. We're trusting Him. We know that He uh, sends His resources through people. And maybe He wants to use some of you to help us during this time. If so, we'll be grateful. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Jesus You May Not Know, please visit our website where we offer two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's new book, The Jesus You May Not Know. It's written to help you reconnect with Christ and rediscover the joy of your salvation. And it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard Version and New International Version, as well as in standard or large print in the New King James, filled with helpful notes and articles by Dr. Jeremiah. Get the details when you contact us today. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Jesus You May Not Know, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Legacy. When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents, and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. 
there is still so much work to do. Will you join me in this very important effort? What will your legacy be? If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. 